All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week we are reviewing the 2019 film Midway. Uh, this film was requested at uh, by our special guest this week, Charles, who works in the or is involved in the museum field and very specifically deals with uh, military aviation. Uh, Charles, it's nice to have you with us. If you want to say hi and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Hi, my name is Charles Gray. I am a demonstrator at the National Museum of World War II Aviation. I've been a volunteer there since 2019, and the museum is located in Colorado Springs, Colorado, near the airport. And the most amazing thing about the museum itself is we have a collection of over 20 aircraft that are fully restored and flying, including the Dauntless Dive Bomber, which was a starring aircraft in this movie. And you guys also have a, a B-25 there that was also shown briefly in this film as well, right? Yes, I believe that. And that B-25 was also seen in the movie Pearl Harbor and a few other movies. I think there was five different aircraft carriers that this B-25 has landed on or taken off from in the course of its career. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. So, how did you get how did you get started with your involvement with the museum? Sure, it was really my son's interest in uh, military aircraft that we were in the museum a lot, and one of the uh, main directors of the museum was demonstrating an N3N biplane flight simulator. And after talking for about half an hour, he we were voluntold that we should be coming in and taking you know an active role in volunteering at the museum and from that point on we demonstrate such items as uh, a link trainer which is the world's first flight simulator and also uh, the n3n which is now a fully functional flight simulator using um, lockheed martin uh, flight, uh, flight flight simulator program and it's actually unique because there are potentiometers on all the controls that actually control the flight simulator. So as you fly the as you fly the plane, you're actually flying the plane in the flight simulation program. I uh, I remember because me and my my father had uh, come down several weeks ago and checked it out. I remember that being quite impressive. Uh, how long? was was that simulator that you usually demonstrate is it was it in pretty good shape to begin with or did the museum have to go through like a whole restoration process for that as well so the actual airframe was an actual training aircraft in world war ii it was the last biplane that was used as uh, in the navy and the marine corps to train soldiers before world war ii and throughout the entire course of the second world war um, we um, eventually got the frame of the aircraft. It was actually on display and used at the Naval Academy for quite some years. And then it was a crop duster, eventually ended up our, in our museum. And then we actually had a team of engineering students come by and build that flight simulator. 
And then during COVID, we expanded the screen. So we have three large flat screen TVs on the flight simulator. So it's almost like an IMAX effect. Uh, and we had a, a gentleman who was another volunteer who also built flight simulators for NASA, redesign and calibrate it to bring it up to a very high standard. So the flight simulations, we've had a lot of pilots who got on there flying fighter jets and bombers. And he said it was just like flying a real plane, just not leaving the ground. It's nice. So I know when we were uh, first talking, there was quite a few films that we had uh, discussed possibly doing. And we uh, settled on Midway. Uh, I guess my, my first question in regards to the film is uh, what drew you to uh, this movie for a discussion? Sure. Uh, as far as movies go, you know, I guess we could use Pearl Harbor to contrast. You know, sadly, use Pearl Harbor to contrast this to Midway. I think Midway did a really good job of trying to de-Hollywoodfy these um, events, and but also try to make it understandable for how significant this one, literally one day was in history. This is the single event that changed the course of the war in the Pacific. And it was really down to just a handful of pilots and a handful of planes that somehow were in the right place at the right time. And they were able to sink four Japanese carriers that were involved in the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, you know, that and coupled with the fact we have an actual Dauntless dive bomber um, at the museum was another reason why I thought it was a good um, a good museum movie to pick that would tie it into the museum as well. Okay. So, uh, Jack, what did you to, to get the ball rolling on our discussion of this film? what do you think of this film? I'm conflicted, you know, just, I, so excuse me, a little bit of backstory of me in this film. This is one of the movies that I tried to watch right when the COVID lockdowns were happening. And I had literally nothing better to do than watch this movie. And I still turned it off and walked away. What, uh, just, what about, what just, about it left that sour taste in your mouth the first time around? Namely, um, the overuse of CGI of bad CGI. Usually I'm one of the defenders of CGI, I will admit, but Jesus Christ. And Ed Scrine's accent, if you can even call it that. I will, I will say, um, the, the acting in this film was, um, interesting because it seemed like with the exception of like Woody Harrelson, um, Dennis Quaid and Patrick Wilson, it seemed like everybody was trying to do like a 1940s, like New York, like, Hey, I'm walking here type, uh, accent. And it kind of just, that aspect of it came off as kind of fake for me. Um, yeah. Charles, what did you think about that? You know, unfortunately, you know, actors will be actors and there's always bad accents. Um, I guess I was trying to compare, and this is a very tough film to do 
I mean, I guess we can compare this to, let's see, when was the other Midway made? Let's see. I think it was like 70s or 80s. Right. Was, and, was when that one came out. Right. And there's a lot of stuff in that movie. For example, they use Texan trainers painted as Japanese zeros. Um, they're using modern Essex class carriers as the uh, carriers, right? You know, for the replacing the Yorktown. Um, but as far as CGI goes, um, I think it's a it's a definitely step in the right direction compared, especially to Pearl Harbor, where they had moments of CGI that were okay and pretty interesting, and then they would go flash into them bombing retired Navy frigates from the seventies. You know, and uh, God knows who the, who gave them permission to do that. But um, it was, I think Pearl Harbor was a flawed film in a lot of ways, but just how they would back and forth between, you know, historically accurate looking battleships sinking at Pearl Harbor to, you know, ships with missiles on it. Um, and unless you actually know, the common public wouldn't, you know, understand the difference. Um, with this movie, at least they were trying to get the basic facts right. Um but is it a perfect movie? No, I agree with it, with you. And that was that was why I was conflicted, is because I did some research on it, and it is it is in fact one of the more historically accurate war movies, surprisingly. Right. Yeah. There's there's so many great individual stories in this film that they chose to showcase and portray. And it's like, I think a good example is one of the earlier scenes in the movie. Uh, I believe it will, it was the it was one of the devastators that was landing on the carrier, which that is an airplane that you almost never see in any kind of World War II film. So I I love seeing that in this film, but. There's a scene where one of the devastators comes to land on the carrier and it lands too hard and the torpedo comes loose from the airplane and it skids across the deck and like this guy jumps on it trying to slow it down. And because of the CGI, it it almost looks comical and because of how it visually looks in this film, you're like, this is... This is so fake. This is just, you know, a stupid Hollywood moment. And then you hop on the good old Google machine and you find out that like, yeah, there's multiple instances during the war of ordnance coming loose off of aircraft when they land and they're just like skidding across the deck. They're like, oh, I guess this this isn't made up. Right. And there are some good scenes in there. Um, I'm trying to remember the very beginning of the movie, but there was, you know, scene at Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, they had the aircraft from the Enterprise flying over, trying to land. And, you know, they were shot at by our own, our own, uh, forces because they were just trigger happy at that point. Anything that flew had to be Japanese at that point. And I think that's a part nobody I think had seen before or really, unless you read your history. Right. And it's. It's an interesting point because I hadn't realized that during the Pearl Harbor attack that there were carrier planes that were coming in to try and land at Pearl Harbor in and about that time. 
I knew that one of the reasons why the Japanese aircraft were able to more or less sneak in is because um, the ra- the radar operators at Pearl Harbor was expecting like a large flight of uh, like B-17 bombers to be coming in. So when they saw a huge, you know, dot on the radar, they're like, oh, that's, that's our guys. Um, but I, I didn't realize that there were also carrier aircraft from our own people that were trying to land at that time also. Correct. Yeah. And that's, um, I think it was a B- flight of B-17s coming in from California that they thought it was on the radar as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good point too. Um, it The movie does show some stuff that was pretty amazing. And I think one point that, um, let's see, in the movie, what's this guy's name? He was the, um, let's see, the Richard, um, the guy who played Richard Best, uh, or Dick Best, he's, I think, the only pilot in history to ever hit uh, and sink, help sink two aircraft carriers in the same day, which was pretty amazing. And, you know, you think that might be exaggerated Hollywood stuff, but it really actually did happen. And Supposedly, he was one of the best naval aviators we had back then. He graduated Annapolis in 1932, and he, um, cousin, but he was kind of portrayed as a cowboy. But in real reality, was he was a very methodical and professional pilot. But once again, Hollywood had to have, you know, some kind of conflict. They had to make him an interesting character. Right. Like in him being involved in the sinking of two different characters, def- carriers uh, definitely comes off as that like that kind of like main character uh, energy. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy like it's it's kind of like when you see, you know, I don't want to compare too much to Pearl Harbor, but it's like when you have Ben Affleck, you know, be in the Battle of Britain, and then he's at Pearl Harbor, and then he's in the Doolittle Raid. Like, it kind of comes off that way a little bit, where it's like, of course our main character is everywhere. Exactly. I don't know about you guys, but I don't doubt for a second a guy named Dick Best sank two ships in one day. <laughs> I'm sure he's never reversed either, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> He strikes right. me as a guy that probably has like a giant like eagle tattoo on his chest. That's not at all where I thought you were going with that. Corn cob <laughs> pipe. Where, where did you think I was going with that? Oh. Anyway, yeah, this this movie was great, you know. Right, and we we did get past the. Um, um, that's the other thing I forgot about the because I did watch the nineteen seventy six movie, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, this is the era of model ships blowing up and, you know, it's kind of like almost Godzilla-esque, you know, destroying the factories. But um, that's what they had in 1976. They didn't really have anything to actually sink. Um, but it brings me back to another movie that was out there. Um, Dunkirk actually did sink a ship in that movie. That was a movie that was really bent on realism. Um, they actually had... Uh, I believe replica or not, they actually had um, Messerschmitts 109s because um, the Spanish uh, military had those as well. And I think the, the Swiss had Messerschmitts, but, um, you know, and that was part of the process is like we wanted this to be as real as possible. So they 
I believe they actually sank a um, old trawler in that movie that looked like a hospital ship. If you remember that scene, I do. We haven't we haven't reviewed that film yet, but I I did see that film in theaters, and that was a very uh, it's a very big moment for that film. Yes, which it's it's interesting because it's interesting to see how different directors and how different films choose to divert their money and how they choose to portray certain things. Obviously it's probably easier for Christopher Nolan to get a hold of a, just a big ship and, you know, paint a red cross on it and be like, sink it. Okay. Versus midway. There's no way for them to actually sink a carrier for the sake of their movie. Correct. Although I think um, there there was one movie that actually did try to sink an ocean liner called the Ile de France, and it was a spectacular from the 70s. It's not a war movie at all. It's some kind of hokey movie, but they partially sank the ship. It was going to be scrapped anyways. It was, it was a ship built in, I believe, the 30s, and on the way to scrapping, they filmed this movie, and they blew up the ship, knocked the smoke stack down. Um, I've never actually seen the movie, but um, it wasn't very good from what I heard. <laughs> I uh, I will say, you know, kind of going into our next question, but uh, one of my favorite scenes in this film was towards the end um, when the Japanese are abandoning, abandoning uh, the carrier Soryu. Um, you know, you see the the fires are raging on the decks and, you know, you get the, the you know, very heroic, like, I'm going down with my ship and then everybody else hops off. And then you have random Japanese destroyer, you know, send out torpedoes to, to scuttle their own uh, carrier. Uh, and for me, I, I found that, one, it was a good visual moment, but I also appreciated it from the standpoint that a lot of times Hollywood movies tend to portray the Japanese in a very over stereotypical fashion of just being like uber fanatical uh, kind of thoughtless robots who, you know, are very focused on like, you know, Hollywood's big on the, like they'll fight to the death kind of narrative which you know the the japanese military was a very big like fight to the death type force but that particular scene for me was very humanizing towards an enemy that we don't normally do that for in film right and you know just the fact that you know there are different mindset um that you know, like you said, um, maybe not the Soyu, but the Hyru. I, I don't even know how to pronounce his carrier's names. <laughs> but, um, you know, the Admiral chose to go down with his command when it was scuttled. Um, you know, everybody wanted to stay with their ship. And, and that was historically accurate. I mean, they, you know, they basically had two missions. One, get rid of, you get the picture of the Emperor off the boat intact. Uh, and two, you go down with your command. Um and it was probably a bad policy because how are you going to learn from your mistakes if 
you lose a ship, you just decide that's game over, and now I'm just gonna, um, I'm going out with my my ship, going down to the bottom of the ocean. Right. Which is also it, it's interesting because we see that kind of moment portrayed where you have the super higher ups say, "I'm going down with the ship," and then you have kind of like the lower level, one of the lower level officers say like, I want to stay with you. And he has to like, give him an order. Like, no, you have, you have to survive and keep fighting this. Like you're, you are of a high enough rank that you're important, that we still need to use you, but you're not high enough that the, the like honor system isn't applying to you yet. Correct. Right. Or, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's about, um, I, you know, it's always about example and it's sacrifice and somebody has a witness to sacrifice. Otherwise <laughs> there will be yeah. no stories to be told. So Jack, what was your, uh, favorite scene in this film? Probably Bruno being a badass one last time before they sent him to the drowned God. Oh, when they captured him and they weighted him down, and yeah, yeah. I guess they're not one. I guess they're not One Direction fans. <laughs> That's true. Or Jonas Brothers fans. That's right. Jonas, I guess my boy Jonas Brothers. Confused. Well, there's so many of them to keep track of. There's one less now. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that was historically accurate. Um, they didn't like taking any prisoners, especially anybody who was involved sinking their aircraft carriers. They were throughout the war. They um, considered being captured uh, dishonorable, so they would help you with your honor by killing you. <laughs> right, so <laughs> helpful. Problem. Yes. The uh, when I was reading about it was uh, apparently there, there's only two discrepancies in the way that the movie show this and both are pretty forgivable which is the first one is they didn't use an anchor to weigh him down they like took an empty fuel can and punched it full of holes so that it would fill with water and then drag him down but they didn't like bring him on the ship and then immediately toss him back over they kept him for like two weeks and tortured him for information and then tossed him overboard. Right. And, you know, once again, they've got to speed up the storyline a little bit. Um, talking about the real Bruno, I, I believe his name is Jardo, J-G-A-I-D-O. Um, he, you know, there's a scene where he actually, on the Enterprise, uh, saw a plane about to hit the ship got into a Dauntless in the back, there was a 30 caliber machine gun. And he, from the plane cockpit, he shot down the plane. Uh, in the movie, they promoted him on the spot. In reality, he was scared crapless because he was just basically flight crew on the deck. He wasn't a pilot, and he thought he was going to get in trouble, so he ran away from the Admiral, and he had, they had to find him, hunt through the ship to find him, to promote him. So, um, but once again, you know, it was... They had to speed up the storyline. I could definitely, I could definitely see that. Just like stuffing yourself, it's like, it's like, uh, like somebody stuffing themselves inside of their locker to hide from a high school bully. Exactly. It's like, it's like you can't find me. Correct. Let's see. 
Charles, what was uh, what was your favorite scene in this film? It was probably when they sank um, the carriers. I mean, that's always been, you know, and, and, and you know, just to make sure you know, this is war. People forget people died on both sides, and this is a horrible event. But from a purely patriotic American, we have to win, and, you know, the Japanese were coming after us. Um it gave me, um, you know, it was just amazing to see, you know, Americans come back and help turn the tide of this war and sink in an incredible sequence. And, and, and people forget how incredibly lucky they were to be, you know, at the right altitude with the sacrifice of all the torpedo squadrons uh, ahead of them, pretty much to zero, you know, survivors except for, um, I forget his first name, but it was like a senior gay who watched the entire thing from his life jacket in the water. Um, but to draw the fighters, this, this, uh, the, the combat air patrol down and to get everybody looking at the water here for their torpedo bombers and just at the right moment, here comes all these Dauntlesses and they fly in there and they sink every visible carrier they can see. And that was just an incredible moment for me in that movie. Have you uh have you ever seen Team America World Police? <laughs> More times than I care to admit, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have a recurring uh statement on this show to sum up what you were saying, which is uh you're a fan of the carriers being blown up because that's a, that's an America fuck yeah moment. Exactly. Team America, America fuck yeah. Going off to blow up the motherfucking world. <laughs> <laughs> which you know only puppets can show that movie accurately so i'm glad right. they chose marionettes for that the only possible medium they could have portrayed it <laughs> yes especially the sex scenes you know <laughs> which which reminds me is has anyone made it yet to casa bonita since the new opening i i have not it's i i've tried to get tick because it's ticketed now because it's so popular correct um i've i've not been able to get a ticket since it's opened and i'm not even in the same state so for those who are unaware um and uh who are south park fans casa bonita is real (laughs) it does exist most of the things in south park the uh, cartoon series is about colorado like american warehouse furniture um I think there's an episode about cracks and hose um, there, but the uh, Casa Benita was a restaurant, is a restaurant that's in uh, the suburbs of of Denver, and they include incredible things such as cliff diving and endless sopapillas and Black Bart's Cave, and it was featured in an episode of South Park. During COVID, they uh, were out of they they filed for bankruptcies, and then Trey Parker and Matt Stone bought Casa Bonita, and I believe they spent $40 million restoring oh, they dumped, it. they dumped a lot of money into that place. A ton of money. And it's they. I think they had to repaint the outside like six or seven times to get the right shade of pink. But it's basically a Mexican restaurant that is, I think, described as the most exciting restaurant in, well, the greatest restaurant in the world. And it is now open, and they're slowly rolling. It's a soft opening. Um, I'm on the website right now. I'm just trying to see if I can get a ticket, it, but it's all good luck. <laughs> yeah. I've already put like my email in here like two or three times and I have not gotten the ding for it, 
It says exclusively from her email list. Yeah, it hasn't changed since the summer. But people apparently have flown across from around the world to try to get in there um, because they have a Cartman's party room. They have the bear man pig walking around, apparently. From one man of bear pig. <laughs> yes, the bear man pig. So, uh, I'm super with... serial, guys. You need to get the sopapillas. <laughs> yes. You have little flags on your tables, your rays, and you get sopapillas anytime you want. But it's, it's basically an all-inclusive meal where I think you pay, let's see, it's $40 per ticket, and you get a meal. It doesn't include beverages, but it's all the sopapillas you want. Um, and then you get to see cliffside diving. and um, You're paying for an experience, not the food. Right. Let's, used to be let's, really... let's get that out there. Like, But apparently it's supposedly way better than it was before. It's not gourmet, but it's definitely a huge improve, improvement from Taco Bell on a plate. Right. I uh, So I want to say maybe about a month ago, um, I had to go up into the mountains for my job. And uh, I didn't realize the route I was taking, but the route I was taking drove me right past the South Park Coney Island. Okay. Um, and so when I saw that, I'm like, all right, well, I, I got to stop. And uh, it was hilarious because I it, it's just like the way they portrayed it on the show. It's a giant building that looks like a hot dog. Um, walked in, got got my hot dog, ate it. And uh, I was talking to the dude that was like working the counter there. And the place was legitimately for sale. And I am beyond shocked that the guys at South Park have not purchased that place. Um, right. This should be in the parking lot of, uh, of Casa Benita. Right. But the thing that blows my mind, and it might blow your mind because you understand what the housing market is like, or just the, you know, how insane real estate is here currently. Mm. So the, the property was two acres up in the mountains and it is right next to a creek. It's a very scenic area. Um, you get the restaurant that's world famous now because it's been featured in South Park, but you also get an adjacent building that operates at currently as a junk shop. So you have another commercial space. You get two commercial spaces on two acres that is next to a creek. And this commercial space that's next to the Coney Island also has two apartments above it. And okay. they... When I was talking to the dude that was working the stand, he's like, "Yeah, they want two million for it." <laughs> wow, yeah, I actually remember driving by this. Now it was this thing is on two eighty five, I think. Which is like, it's insane to think because, like, you'll know if if you look at like a f three bedroom house on the south side of Denver, like in Highlands Ranch you'll pay a million dollars for that house with like zero yard and uh, like all that stuff. And here's like, here's a business that already has built in advertising for itself, just going for 2 million, 2 million with, you know, the acreage included. Right. It's pretty impressive. Um, but once again, it shows that everything in South Park is probably real in a very small way. <laughs> You know, it makes me think that uh, maybe we should review the uh, 
the Whale Wars episode sometime as a, a bonus reel. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. Whale Wars, where stuff actually happens now. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, anywho, returning to our, our movie discussion, um, I think another great, like, America fuck yeah moment in this film is, uh, when they they do demonstrate the the Doolittle raid, um, and you know it's such a small piece of this movie, but you know when they when they do the set piece of uh, Dennis Quaid acting as Admiral Halsey, you know, you know he does his little spiel. He's like, I gotta get us as close to Japan as possible so they don't crash, but I gotta save the carriers, um, and you know. And it's immediately followed up by Aaron Eckhart, you know, walking out on the deck. That's like, we're probably not going to make it. Who wants to still go? And then, you know, they, they all still step forward. And the next very next scene is the bombers, you know, dropping their loads on Tokyo. And you see like the emperor being shuttled down into a bunker. Like I thought that was a great addition to this movie. Yes, I agree. It was because um, you start with Pearl Harbor, you get to the point where it's kind of like a low point. You get to Midway, and then we see a striking back and right back at the heart. And it really that raid actually changed a lot because um, I believe. Let me think of I got my timing and my sequence right. That raid happened before Midway, and because of that raid, Midway happened. Um, as I'm sure you folks know, um, because they were you know, saying, hey, those carriers are still a threat. We know it came from a carrier. We have to go get those carriers. And if it wasn't for the Doolittle raid, there would be no Midway. It's it's also just a super impressive, you know, it's an impressive story in its own right. And it there is a... As far as I remember, there is a movie about it, which is 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, but it's been showcased in a couple of other films. Um, notably, Pearl Harbor. I, I know I said I didn't want to compare this film to that, but it it is what it is. Um, which is, it's a shame that I have to say this, but I feel like Pearl Harbor did the B-25 launch scene better as just just because they were using real aircraft it looked more impressive right. um that being that being said pro like pro harbor wasn't as accurate just like it wasn't as accurate in many respects but like i appreciate in this film the doolittle raid actually shows like oh they're launching it in the middle of a storm um you know i also thought it was interesting that it was done from the perspective of the aviators from the enterprise, not the Hornet. And, you know, they're, they're standing on the deck taking bets. They're like, Oh, they're not going to make it. Um, as like rain is pelting them in the face. Like it's a, it was an interesting perspective to view that moment from. Right. And a few historical things, just because our museum does have that B 25. That is, um, was used in the movie Pearl Harbor, along with uh, several others. I can't remember how many, but um, they um, 
one of the things that was interesting is those bombers were equipped originally with Norton bomb sites. And as, you know, Pearl Harbor actually showed that scene pretty well. They said, we have to strip this down, make it as light as possible. They took out the machine guns, put black painted mop broomstick handles out and pretended they were machine guns. Um, but they also took out the Norton bomb sites, mostly because they're afraid they'd be captured. And they made some very simple line of sight. It was just basically, imagine something with an arc and a, a swinging pendulum in there so you can kind of gauge uh, your fall of the bomb. And one of our volunteers is actually recreating the, um, the bomb site they used on the, do, on the Doolittle Raid. And our museum is also working on um, some great computer simulations. We have a bunch of engineers from Colorado Springs, uh, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and there's actually going to be a, um, um, a, a simulation where you can drop a bomb like in a Doolittle raid. So I would, I would pay a good chunk of money to do that. If we're, if we're being honest, like if you, if you told me that like I could step into like a mock B 25 cockpit and like flight simulator, the Doolittle raid, I, I'd drop like a hundred bucks on that, like in a heartbeat. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be more on um, like a flat screen kind of thing, but you're still okay. gonna have like the same controls as you would in World War II. They're gonna rig those up. Um, it's still a work in progress. The engineers are figuring out how to do that. Um, the other um, neat aspect that we have is we have what's called the Link Mod, um, where we have the original 1943 Link Navy Simulator Trainer. Uh, where you sit in there and it was, it's like run by organ and player piano parts. It was built in the 1930s and it's all 100% analog. The um, engineering students, about three or four years back, they took another link box and they digitalized it. And now it's sitting in front of three monitors and you actually be able to sit in this uh, link trainer and fly different aircraft. Uh, we've got it rigged up now so you can be in a, um, a pontoon, you know, um, an N3N with pontoons on it and take off from Pearl Harbor and just fly around, um, you know, Hawaii inside that plane. So these are going to probably be up and running in the next month or so. I'll definitely have to make another trip down then. Yes. Yeah, it'll um, be great. I'll let you know. But your, your description of like, the the Doolittle raid thing that you guys are working on it reminds me a lot of uh, for I think it's uh, it's one of the commemorative Air Force wings I think it's the one that uh, operates the C forty seven that's all brother but they have it's um, it's like from the cockpit section forward they have uh, like a DC three and basically you can step into the cockpit and I don't know if it's necessarily a flight simulator, but it's like, just like an experiential thing where you sit down in the pilot seat and then like the plane shakes and they project like flying over Normandy during the, the invasion on the screens. Hmm. Let's see. It's, yeah. No, I've never been in that one yet. I, I went down to, there is a, an airport near, uh, Phoenix or outside of Phoenix and they do have a C-47 that was interesting because they used that C-47 uh, actually to take pilots out 
of um it would at the time it was um was it Yugoslavia back then? I can't remember. Um but it was like Serbia and it was where a lot of downed pilots from raiding uh, Romanian oil fields ended up getting um get crashed their planes or trying to fly back to Italy. And he had a couple hundred pilots in this one area that all the uh, partisans uh, against the uh, the Germans at the time gathered, and they actually flew. Um, they flew a dispersion raid, and he took all these C-47s um, out to pick these pilots up, and he rescued a couple hundred pilots. And um, if you give me a second, I think it's called Operation Marlin Spike or something like that. Uh, but it's another interesting thing where. You know, once a, a little bit of history you don't know. But yes, the Confederate Air Force, um, and well, by the way, uh, another plug for the museum here, was just announced that um, we're going to have the, first of all, there's going to be another air show in Colorado Springs. It's going to be in August of 2024. It's going to be the weekend of uh, the 16th, 17th, and 18th. They just announced that they are going to have the Navy flight demonstration team, the Blue Angels, here. And I believe it might be the very first time they've ever been to Colorado Springs. So that I was going to say they're kind of stepping in on uh, the Thunderbirds territory. True, yeah. I think we just couldn't get the Thunderbirds. We had the Thunderbirds maybe five years ago, um, but it was something where um, there was a lot of naval aircraft at the World War II Museum. Um, we've got Corsairs. Um, we've got these things called Tiger Cats, which are twin-engine fighters. They never used them in World War II, but they used them in Korea and even Vietnam, um, along with the um, uh, two Avengers, and we also have the Dauntless Dive Bomber as well, and there's a few other train, uh, planes as well. Um, but that's, um, that's a pretty cool thing that's going to be happening, and they're flying, you know, they fly F-18s versus the uh, Thunderbirds F-16s. So a little right. bit different, different aircraft. So Jack, what was your, uh, what was your favorite performance in this film? Hmm. I liked the, I already forgot his name. The dude who played Night Owl as the Patrick inform, Wilson. Patrick Wilson is the information officer. That was definitely uh I did like that. I think I think this is going it might be an unpopular opinion, but I th I think one of the biggest downfalls of this film is that I appreciate all the stuff that they showed and demonstrated, but I think because they tried packing so much stuff into it that it ended up kind of taking away a little bit from each thing. I think if this film was very much focused on like, imagine if I, I loved how this film opened up where we had Patrick Wilson discussing with Admiral Yamamoto um, pre-war where he's like, Hey, if X, Y, and Z things happen, this is going to be the outcomes. Like if, if we get our oil cut off or we're, we're going to go to war, which is a gross oversimplification of, the Pacific conflict, but it was a big part of it. Um, I think this film could have been great if it was like almost took like 
if you've ever seen the film the imitation game where it's very focused on code breaking the german enigma code right if if this was if we had you know patrick wilson talking to amaral yamamoto and then we have just big picture pearl harbor scene and then you know we have him you know do some more exposition in a code room or in board meetings and then we see big picture dual do little raid and then you know all the scenes with like him and woody harrelson going back and forth where he's like how do you know they're going to attack here like i think if we had used patrick wilson and woody harrelson and all these other like high level actors or characters as our exposition or narrative from point to point and then we had kind of just these big set piece battles i think that would have made this film like infinitely better not that i didn't appreciate you know like the story of dick best or uh i'm not going to try and pronounce nick jonas's character's name because i'll probably ruin it but even even then you know we get the moments where it's like we get all this banter with nick jonas and then he hops into an airplane and he's hero of the day for shooting down a plane attacking the carrier but he still stands before uh palsy and gets promoted in that scene and it's like we still could have had the scene where you know imagine that scene where we're up like in the control tower of the carrier and halsey's looking down and he sees a dude hop into an airplane uh and does this heroic thing he's like bring him up here and then we meet our our hero i think that like i think the switching between the multiple different levels of people kind of took away from it a bit so i think for me if we had just kept it as patrick wilson and woody harrelson as our our primary characters who are narrating in between big moments i think that could have done a lot for this film Right. Um, I guess what we're looking at is the biggest, the hardest job in any movie job is the editor. And besides the story writers to get to that point, um, I mean, we're talking about six months of a, like a very active war where you're, you're zooming around the Pacific. Um, I think they even had parts of it where they're at the Coral Sea, if I remember right. Um so, and I'm thinking of like other, you know, other shows attempts at trying to change up the storyline. I mean, you have, once again, to use Pearl Harbor, it's almost like they spent too much time in the moment. Um, like everything is like we're going at almost by minute by minute when the base was under attack. Um, then you have like shows like the Pacific where I remember they would start off where they would just basically show a map of the ocean and they would just kind of zoom in on an island. And, and it was kind of great because it kind of set the scene, like where the heck is this place? And they zoom in there. And then, of course, you've got you know Nolan's film with um, Dunkirk, which was like three different timelines overlapped on each other's. I think the planes were, it was the, the guys on the ground were one week, the guys in the boat was one day, and then, then the guys in the plane was one hour. So... <laughs> And they somehow, and that was an incredible editing job to splice it all together, and to make an incredible story. So, of all the movies, I think that was out there, I think I think we have there's definitely you have to do uh, Jonathan up, 
next one on um, on um, Dunkirk because I think that was one of a, a great film that was kind of overlooked. I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, it did, you know, it, it did get its Oscars, but it was definitely more of that like summer blockbuster, and I think kind of gets pushed aside because. Trying to remember, did Christopher Nolan also do nineteen seventeen? Good question. Just Google away at that. Oh, while we're um, looking that up, so Operation Halyard was World War Two, July nineteen forty four. They rescued four hundred and thirty two U.S. and eighty other Allied prisoners flown out of what was then, um, um, you know. Uh, Serbia, and that was um, one of the uh, most amazing, you know, covert rescue operations of the war. And most, and I never even heard of it until I went to a Confederate, um, not, well, I guess it's Confe- um, commemorative Air Force now, it used to be Confederate Air Force down in Arizona, and they actually had survivors from that event and family members from Serbia. Um, who were there who helped build the airfield, which is pretty amazing. Okay. So that was another one of those, you know, one of the, the infinite stories of world war two that kind of gets pushed to the side. Correct. Yeah. And there's no movie and there's like a memorial there. I think that's about it. So uh, what was the question again? Who was what? Director of. Oh Dumb? yeah. Oh, the, 1917. Yeah. Oh, the uh, the actor was he in 1917? No one's in 19s. No, Sam Mendes. Huh. Very okay. similar style. Well, so, good. Oh, I was going to say, what did you think of? Because one of the the big reason, or you know, being your area of knowledge what did you think of the portrayal of the aircraft in this film well that's actually probably one of the the best parts of this whole movie um you know they you know having cgi i mean you know not to use the world of anything like tanks planes um ships warships um because you know a lot of people use that as history and a lot of those ships never made up or don't look the same but a lot of the footage i mean if you look and pause the movie they're painted just like they were and as they were in world war ii the um they had the right numbers on them they had the right paint schemes on them um they flew in formation at the right time their aiming devices were spot on um it's they had the dive brakes, the thirty caliber in the back. Um, I think they did a pretty good job with the actual aircraft. Um, and I can't tell you offhand. Maybe one of you two know if they actually used any actual aircraft in the movie. Um, I honestly don't know the answer to that because I I feel like. Um, they were so reliant on their CGI that I think it would kind of make me upset if they actually did have access to airplanes. 
I'm looking it up right now. I mean, I know in, you know, the once back to Dunkirk, they did use like actual aircraft Spitfires. There's a bunch of Spitfires left in England that are still flight worthy. I mean, there's probably a couple replicas in there. And then when they didn't have that, they actually used a lot of models, um, like RC models of uh, Spitfires. Um, so that was, um, I know for that show, let's see. But you were probably right. They might have had a cockpit built or something like that so you can do close-ups. But I, I don't think I don't think they used Dauntlesses for real in that movie. But I'll, I'll well, there's there's so there's so few of them. So, right. Jack, what are uh, what are you drinking this evening? I am drinking the Fanta Zero Sugar Mystery Drink. Very nice. And what, what and is, a Guinness. What is what is a mystery flavor like? Well, you see, it tastes like a mystery. <laughs> mm. Zoic Scooby. You know, it it's very fruity. <clears throat> yeah, no sugar, no caffeine. Perfect soda for a night. With a uh, with a Guinness chaser. Yep. E two. I uh, I went for the the losing team in this movie uh i'm having myself a nice tall can of sapporo <laughs> there you go and along with some sushi would be perfect it was uh it was the last thing i had in my fridge and i was like oh it's fitting enough for the film so good good what do you what are you uh having to drink this evening charles well i had two choices there was um a Sulky Crew, which I've never seen or heard of before. Um, I think I got at a Costco this summer, and I still had a couple left. It's described, quote, as a boat beer, and surprisingly good and not filling, and one of my actually favorite drinks, but I've never seen it again. But I switched gears, and I went for Cayman Jack. Uh, I stole one of my wife's... Uh, I think I'm drinking the pina colada version of that. Uh, they're actually really interesting mixed drinks in a bottle, but they usually need another shot of some other form of um, alcohol to bring it up to bring it up to, uh, to where you want, adult where you drinking, want it. Adult drinking strength, we'll call it. <laughs> so, but it's not too bad. Um, Cayman Jack is definitely good. So, I think it's uh, about the time that we uh, give this film a rating. So, Charles, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but we try and do a individualized rating for each film uh, just to keep things a little fun because we we think the one to five star system is a little boring. Sure. Uh, so we, we, we like to have a little fun with it. Jack, what do you think uh, an appropriate rating for this film should be? Hmm. What's our what's our standards here? Um, we're using like oh, we like we go all tomatoes. over the place. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's... we usually do one out of five. Inside joke from the movie. Okay, yeah. Hmm. I I personally I I was thinking maybe like one to five soda burned lungs. 
There you go. One to five soda burned lungs. Um, I'm going to give this uh, two soda burned lungs and one's crispy out of five. Okay. And what is your your basis for the two and one crispy lung rating? (sighs) Like I said, Ed Scrine's attempt at an accent, the CGI... The pacing felt really fucking disjointed at times. I will but say, but man, the last hour it, or so of this movie is not bad. Oh yeah, you know the, the actual midway battle. Yeah, once we once we get into carrier sinking, it's like, all right. Yeah. You, Charles, Charles. Yeah. One to um, five. One to five lungs. Okay. Um. Just, just uh, you know, cut this in later. But I'm actually just found something. So this is I don't know yet. Something from the UK. Um, they said that um, none of the historic aircraft carriers or planes at the time are still in their wartime condition. Well, considering that you know either they're sunk or scrapped, I think the only aircraft carrier to survive any of this was the Enterprise, and the Enterprise was supposed to become a museum ship. Was in New York City until 19. 19- 50 almost and then he eventually just ran out of money and they scrapped it but the conning tower apparently is still somewhere in new jersey um the interesting thing to say here is that and tbds the tor- douglas torpedo bombers could not be found anywhere well obviously that's not true we have one in the museum so they were all cgi to look like so just to close that loose end um as far as i was going to use a different kind of phraseology i was going to use carrier sunk so I'll give it a four out of five. You can do that too. I'll give it a four out of five carrier sunk. I still think they, um, you know, I appreciate the effort. They did really work hard. There's definitely some blemishes in there of acting and changing things up. But I, I still remember sitting in there going, that's about right. You know, as far as, you know, and way better than the 1970s reproductions of Pearl Harbor and, and Battle of Midway, um, you know, they were, at least they're trying to make the aircraft look like they were. And they didn't have CGI in the 70s. Um, but I'll give it, I, I will give it a little, I will give it four, you know, we'll, we used to call this in the fire department when I was a volunteer there, crispy critters. So we got four crispy critter carriers. <laughs> <laughs> and sadly, you know, there's a lot of crispiness going on with those carriers because they all burned and sank, so. All right. What about you, Jonathan? I like I like I like the rating because it matches the number of carriers lost. Exactly. That's the other popped in my head there. Four Japanese carriers scratched. I uh, I feel conflicted. I I do like this film. Like the his the history nerd in me is really appreciative of all these different little stories that they told. Um, I also. It, it hits me right in the typical dude like action film like yeah uh but also there there's the the like the critical movie reviewer side of me is like this cgi is terrible um it's we had another film that we described as fun but not good um i would say this almost lands in that category for me. I want to give it. I'll give it three out of five. 
so i'll split the difference between you two because i i did i did enjoy this movie but there are things that are left to be desired okay well three out of five you've got to give some more adjectives on that okay three lungs that are soda burned (laughs) and I'll give a carrier that's currently on fire but hasn't fully sunk yet. Yeah. So it's like a, a three a three point five. There you go, three point five. Severely damaged, but not mortal yet. It'd be like the Yorktown, you know, until it got hit by seventeen torpedoes from the uh and, and also sink a destroyer at the time too. Forget about that. They did accurately put that in there, I think. Not the seventeen torpedoes, it was only three, I believe. Right. So, Jack, what does Ron Tomatoes give this film? So, the Tomometer says it's a 42%, and the audience score gives it a 92%. That's quite a disparity. It is a massive disparity. (laughs) Wow. It's it's the the star power of Nick Jonas. We got all the, the Disney Channel fans coming in to watch Midway. (laughs) <laughs> true oh very good so during this part of the show uh charles i know you already spoke a little bit about things museums got going on or coming up but uh if there's anything you'd like to share or push for the museum uh the floor is yours and uh have at it all right let me see here um calendar all right because we do have some events coming up in the museum uh let's see here we go so i know that this next weekend of november 11th which is also veterans day by the way there will be a lecture on b-17s um now Currently, the museum does not have a B-17. There are rumors that we are getting a B-17 that is going to be have to be restored. It's in pretty rough shape somewhere, but they're eventually going to restore it. And there is a, an, an expansion for the hangar. The main hangar is going to double in size, and that's where they're going to put the B-17. But um, there will be a lecture of that. I think it's at 9 o'clock in the morning on the 11th of this month. All right. And then you also have the the big event is uh, the air show that's popping up next year. Correct. The weekend of August. Let me get that date. It'll be the 17th and the 18th of August 2024. There will be a two-day air show. I do know a little insider tip. Last year, the air show was so incredibly popular, or incredibly popular, rather, that they, the, the number of guests overwhelmed the, uh, the system for getting people in. There were people who were waiting for three hours to get in. There was probably 20,000 people getting into the gates for the air show. Um, they did correct it. They had a, 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 some other organization called, I think it's called Colorado Springs Sports Corps. And the next day they fixed it, but they actually had so many people, and this is near the entrance to the Colorado Springs Airport, 
that people's flights were delayed because they couldn't get people into the airport. Um, it was so backed up. So this this year, yeah, this year they're going to limit each day to fifteen thousand people. So and that is crazy. Yeah, only, yeah, only fifteen thousand. So, um, so it's pretty impressive. Uh, it's over. There's a a place at the Colorado Springs Airport where the Army, well, military forces have a um, a special loading unloading area. For, for flights coming from overseas, soldiers and, and uh, military um, uh, personnel returning from overseas. And it's a huge tarmac area, probably about a half a mile by a quarter of a mile wide. And it's, um, but you have to walk in and it's a little bit of a hike and you have to go through security, of course, to get there. But that will be um, the 17th and 18th of August and the Blue Angels will be there for both days. Nice. Well, that's uh, that's definitely we'll have to put on to the calendar. Maybe uh, with enough planning and foresight, we can see if uh, me and Jack can come down together and do that. Great. Yeah. Where are you at, Jack? Where you? Where do you live at? Uh, South Dakota, Pierce. Oh wow, the capital. Okay. That's good. I mean, Never if been. you can, if you can call it that. Shut up. <laughs> the largest town. <laughs> um, one thing that's up. No, that's Sioux Falls. <laughs> there is um, one thing out there. Uh, it's in Wyoming, but I didn't know about this. And, you know, I read the Gazette daily. It's the local paper here. Um, but it is actually another national museum near um, this town. It's in a town called um, Dubois. Du, du Bois, it's D-O-I-S. Um, it's the National Military Vehicle Museum. Let me make sure I get this right here. Um, military Vehicle. Yes. Du Bois, so it's D-U, um, where are we at here? D-U-B-O-I-S. Du Bois, so it's near kind of like the south entrance of Yellowstone National Park. It is actually one of the most incredible museums I've seen. The story behind this was a guy who had a ton of money from like some kind of medical sales product. He started collecting tanks and he had so many in his yard, people would stop by and say, can I just look at your tanks? And now it's, um, what was the square footage here? It was something ridiculous. Oh, I I think I've heard of this, but it's it's going to be like this massive facility. It it is a massive. It's five hundred vehicles there now. It is literally the largest collection of military vehicles in the world. Um, it walks you through pre World War Two, World War Two, Korea and Vietnam, and they're opening up a like a Cold War section. Um, they've got more tanks than they have room for. It's out of the way. I mean, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. But I mean, being from South Dakota, you could drive by it on the way in or something. So, but it's something if you have a chance to do it. Yeah, I would. I would definitely check it out because it is. It was, and it's one of the the museums. It's almost interactive. You could get right up and close to these these vehicles. They have them set up almost in like a diorama mode, where they're like you know you have a Huey with a shadow of the blade spinning around and the sounds of a helicopter. Um, so it's, it's really well presented. I was very impressed with this museum. It's definitely, uh, 
a bucket list item just like just like your museum um for for those who haven't had the chance to go to this place i've been there myself it is an impressive place highly recommend it um i went there for maybe like two and a half three hours and i felt like i didn't have enough time there so you can there's plenty of stuff to see there and it's one of the few museums where you can get up close and personal with uh the subject matter so uh if you ever find yourself in colorado springs go and check out uh the national world war ii aviation museum did i say that order correctly yes the national museum of okay yeah, it's the national museum of world war ii aviation um all right it, it it's a it's a mouthful but yeah we just call it the airplane museum basically and the other yeah that yeah the other interesting thing if you want to um if you're in town um there is the airplane restaurant which in case people have never been here in town um there is um it's basically a modified b-29 bomber that was the boeing designed as an in-fuel tanker and they designed a restaurant in it in it and around it and it's right around the corner from the museum itself so and the museum and the restaurant's full of airplanes and historical pictures of the colorado springs airport and it's a great place to go because it's literally less than um, a half a mile from the museum and it's airplane themed all right so jack i believe next film is your choice hmm that's a good question. Didn't really put much thought into that. Um, how about I get back to you on that? Okay. Next week's movie is uh, it's going to be a secret. Yeah, secret, secret. We totally planned it that way. Okay. Yep. Um, for those of you who, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for the show. The stars do matter. Uh you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Armchair Commanders Podcast. Give us a follow, like, heart, what have you over there. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, which is under the name History Apprentice. We have a Discord that we would love to have you all join, which is also under our podcast name, where we're hoping to incorporate live viewing sessions. Uh, Jack, do you have anything else? I do not. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure having you, Charles. Um, until next week, I've been John. And I'm Jack. And we will catch you next time. Say it, Jack. Bye. <laughs>